Showtime. Okay, my guess is that this is working. I swapped the cable. Facebook is showing me the levels. Sweet. So it should work. I'm gonna shift over. Okay. We'll skip there we go. Let me get a little. We'll get a, a second here for everybody to come back. Um, if you were on a moment ago, or if you're just getting here, sorry, we actually started the show. We had to restart it. Audio wasn't working. Uh, I can hear you. Hey. Perfect. Good. Good. Perfect. Okay. Sweet. Um, all right. We'll uh, we'll just get into it. We know we're kind of going along now. So uh, again, um, welcome to the Vox Community Live Show. Uh, my name is Andy. I am one of the pastors and the creative director on staff. Uh, we have here today, um, of course, Ronnie. Hello, everybody. Yep. And then um, our special guest today, Jack West. Hello. Yes. Yeah. In person. Here we go. In, in, person. in the flesh. Uh, Jack spoke this week at Vox, um, taught a great uh, teaching on betrayal and forgiveness, um, kind of looking at the book of John. We're going to talk a little bit more about that towards the end of the show. But um, if you're checking this out kind of for the first time, this will be a weekly show. Mm -hmm that uh, Ronnie and I uh, will be doing. I'm really looking forward to actually doing a show kind of around the pool uh, with or a cooler or a brewery. Yes. A, yeah. If anybody owns a brewery, would like to have us there. Oh, I already know someone who's, okay. yeah, that's, all, that's actually already an in. So okay. yeah, that's coming. Perfect. In all the right. fall. Yeah. In the fall, we'll actually uh, probably do a show at Noble up oh, in nice. Anaheim. Yeah. So I got Love a buddy. It. He's one of the guys up there. So um, anyhow, uh, again, so uh, the whole point of this is um, we wanted to find another uh, layer that we can kind of continue dialogues of both Sunday teachings we have, mm -hmm. other current affairs and topics kind of happening in our society. Uh, one of the core values at Vox is that the church should be the safest place to talk about anything. So uh, mm -hmm. this is one of those avenues in which uh, we will do that. Um, we apologize if any uh, bad language happens to slip <laughs> out. Like <laughs> in Earmuffs the, for your kids. Earmuffs for your kids. We don't exactly, um, can't really edit it, granted that it's live. Yeah. Um, secondly, um, we will be taking these recordings and actually posting it to the Vox Community Podcast feed. So you will be able to listen to them there. Um, really, the idea is here, yes, it's great if you're live and you can interact with us as we do this. Um, however, we also realize many of you might be watching this after the fact um, on Facebook later tonight after dinner or um, on your lunch break or in your cubicle um, very sneakishly um, yes. enjoying us there. Uh, along the way, um, we encourage you guys to comment. Um, please, in the feed, we will be um, we're, we'll try to always leave room at the end to answer your questions. Um, if something in the middle jumps up, that's really good. We'll, we'll try to attack it right then and there. But, um, otherwise as we kind of go through some of the content, uh, we'll kind of be, uh, putting those questions in a parking lot uh, towards the end. But, um, otherwise the whole idea is that we wanted to have the opportunity to interact with you simultaneously, um, as we have these dialogues and conversations. So, um, we'll get right into it. Um, I'm excited. This is going to be a fun morning. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Good. Uh, Jack, thanks for joining us and being yeah. with us. Jack's Absolutely. a great friend. Um, uh, let's start with some, uh, easy questions. Okay. We'll just some soft toss. Uh, right. how, tell us about your family. So I have a, a beautiful wife named Julie mm -hmm. and we have three children and, uh, three, three how much children. sleep are you getting these days? Uh, very little because those children are the ages <laughs> of, well, in August we'll have five, uh, three and one and oh, a half. Good grief. Yeah. Should we take a moment and just pray for Jack? Yeah. Just, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Oh boy. Yeah. So we have, technically we have two toddlers. Uh, <sighs> we've got one that's still in diapers. Um, so yeah, man, it's, it's work and it's, it's fun, but it's, uh, it's a young man's job yeah. for sure. And, and I am not a young man. Okay. I do not feel young right now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, tell us uh, what you think is your greatest accomplishment in your life. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's soft toss, uh, right? I mean, probably, uh, you know, um, 
saying, uh, well, choosing Julie to marry Julie, my wife. Uh, that was probably my best decision ever. Good. Yeah. I Good mean, answer. next to saying yes to Jesus and, and how all that goes. But uh, that's the right answer. But what no, do you, no, no. how do you actually feel? <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, like, you know, day to day, you know, Jesus and I, we, we have uh, our relationship and he understands that, you know, uh, yeah. He, he set me up well, and I and I said yes to the right thing. That's good. Uh, so, yeah. That's good. Yeah, uh, sure. Tell us about your extended family, brothers and sisters. I know you got quite an extensive yeah, story. Yeah, I do have an extended family. Um, I have uh, – I'm, I'm one of eight children, and so I have three biological brothers. Uh, we grew up together, and my parents did international adoption. And so I have four siblings uh, that uh, are adopted that we love dearly and are part of our family and, and grew up uh, – had a, I mean, my parents um, kind of – Kind of hippie-ish, mm -hmm. if you will. I mean, that kind of, I don't know if we that term means, yeah, just like really um, uh, citizens of the world wanted, wanted to raise us with a really broad experience and had always had a dream of having uh, children that were adopted or, and we did foster when we were, when we were younger. So that's fantastic. Yeah. I had a really rich kind of upbringing with a lot of stuff going on on our house. That's great. That's great. <laughs> Still to this day. And that's interesting that you bring up adoption because as yeah. a team, we've been talking about how does Vox, um, uh, undergird this idea of adoption, mm -hmm. uh, specifically here in our area, yeah. and, and how can we not be as Christians for adoption, right? Yeah. Right. It's fundamentally a part of who we are as adopted. So. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Top three favorite movies. Go. Oh man, you didn't tell me you were going to ask me all these. These are easy. Like, Come on. Just, uh, okay. Even if they're not right, it's fine. There's no uh, wrong answer. Well, there is a wrong answer. There's definitely wrong answers <laughs> with movies. Yeah. Right. I know. Right. <laughs> oh man. Let's see. Um, movies. Oh gosh. I am like. I'm I'm kind of like, um, wow! You stumped me. Like, <laughs> I'm like I'm terrible at naming movies that okay. I like. Honestly, like the last movie I saw is probably the movie that I like. I don't see. Yeah. What was the last movie you saw? I think it was a Star Wars movie. There it is, folks. There Actually, it is. Jack's <laughs> a huge Star Wars fan. You heard it here first. I'm a, I'm a massive documentary fan. And okay. the last movie I technically saw was last night. It was in Lido uh, Theater. I saw the documentary on the Andy Iron story. Oh, okay. Right. So Ooh, for me as that. a as a recovering addict, also as a surfer, this was a very tender story. It really hit me hard back when I we found out that he had passed. And so this was like kind of the long awaited story mm. of his life. Mm -hmm. And his wife was there. It was incredible. Um his, you know, Lindy was there. And just really moving experience. So I think for me, I, I mean I'm kind of documentaries really light me up. Um that That's was good. one that was what was very powerful. And the movie covers some issues that are are near and we'll probably move into that because uh, there's some questions about how he died and you know in the beginning it was like what was it suicide was it not and and it, don't believe it was but it was certainly you know uh, opioid related and, and so there's a lot of anyway that well, that that's a thing that like really really sticks to me yeah. that's good well, that's a good yeah. segue mm -hmm. um for those of you who weren't with us on sunday uh jack taught um at vox church mm -hmm. um and it the the content of the message um, was, was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot to unpack there that I know that you couldn't do in just a short amount yeah. of time from the stage. So that's yeah. kind of why we're doing this as a follow-up. Um, but this is the story uh, out of John 13. Yes. John 13, which is often commonly referred to as the foot washing scene mm -hmm. in John's narrative. Um, mm -hmm. And what you really painted was there's this, there's this, other, this other thing happening sort of in the background, right. which is the act of betrayal right. um, from Judas, but then there's even foreshadowing of what would happen with Peter. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So when you first came out uh, and you said you welcomed everybody and you started, you said, I'm a pastor in recovery. Yeah. 
<laughs> I think that leaves a lot of people going, wait, what does that mean? Right. How do you just leave that there in the air? So maybe you can kind of share a little bit. Right. And, and I, you know, for what it's worth, I apologize for that. Some people like myself who are in recovery were far more comfortable, I think, with some of these terms and in the, the broad range of what that might mean. Um, but for me, it means I'm in recovery for addiction, um, uh, drugs and alcohol, hmm. substance abuse. Uh, but you know, then that is just really the threshold, the thing that helps me name the beginning of the journey. Because recovery, as we know, is far more than that. It's all-encompassing. It's mm -hmm. character development. It's it's all these things. Um, but if you were to say, you know, in a meeting, I would say, hey, my name is, you know, uh, Jack. I'm an alcoholic. And and that is not a full statement of my identity. But it is uh, the identity in which this redeemed um, identity that I have as a son or daughter of God. Uh, comes from, mm -hmm. which is even in that, that's a radical notion. So I'm aiming a death, the alcoholism, but then I'm I'm engaging in an in in act of life by right, engaging right. the journey, right? So that's what I say. Uh, and so when I say I'm a pastor in recovery, that means I'm a pastor on the journey of life from death. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, that's good. I love that. So, um, and then, I mean, you know, to... <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to have my wife here and tell you what recovery means, <laughs> what my recovery means, and what I'm recovering from, uh, because she would have a really cool perspective on that. But just uh, for me, it's a posture as, as much as it is a, as a program. Mm -hmm. um, certainly program is an element of that. In uh, 12 Steps is, is one that I'm, I'm currently knee-deep in, but it's also meant you know therapy. It's also meant um, support groups and other things like that. So, um, so to me, it... it Recovery can be all those things, but specifically, that's what it is in my life. That's good. Yeah. Would you feel, um, you don't have to answer it, but sure. if you feel comfortable, would you share a little bit of that story of how you yeah. came through a season of you know, addiction and mm -hmm. then how you came to that recovery? Yeah. So in, uh, I'm, I'm 40, I'll be 44 on Saturday. Uh, and I had a kind of a, you know, sort of what you might call a quintessential sort of Christian suburban white, you know, kind of uh, privileged sort of upbringing and, and, and a family where, you know, obviously drugs or alcohol would have been out of bounds. And so I kind of, or, you know, pushed that down the road until I got to college and college was just sort of like open season, you know, let's try it. Let's try this thing out. What, you know, it was, I had this motto that I would say, I'll try anything once, um, which is, not not a good good plan for life. Interesting <laughs> way to live. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, so, so, anyway. so growing up, you had these fences. Yeah, sort of you, around your house. Yeah, and a lot you of don't boundaries. Cross these fences. Yeah, don't gotcha. cross these fences. Okay. And so, and a, as a middle child, I sort of strategically said, okay, well, I'll play the game, and and then I'll I'll do the thing when I get when I get the freedom. And so I did, and and then ultimately that led me into down the path of addiction. And this is in the '90s, so. The big thing then was uh, ecstasy and, and cocaine and, um, and, you know, in Florida, that, that's in high supply. And so it just was sort of that party mentality, right, in college. Uh, drinking is obviously always in the background. And so with a very kind of permissive attitude um, and really not a whole lot of regard for my own well-being and my own body. And, and that speaks to really the underlying issues because it wasn't just about fun. It's always about sort of trying to regulate something deeper that's disrupted, right? And that's, you know, sadness and, you know, wounds from the past and all that stuff. Anyway, that, that really, well, I ran the whole thing aground in 98. So I graduated college in 96. And by 98, I was just like, I was done. I was like, I looked like walking death um, in the mirror. And so that was a turning point for me 
um, there was a spiritual turning point uh, where I really came to grips with my own powerlessness. And then there was um, getting into recovery. Uh, and and I, I never went to rehab, like inpatient rehab, um, but I did begin a journey of recovery in 1998. Mm. Now, when I say that, that's an up and that's been an up and down journey. So if I were to be really, you know, honest with you, I have a three year chip in my pocket, mm-hmm. <laughs> which means it's been three years since the last time I broke my sobriety. And I love, I mean, in meetings in the recovery context and those two things and being a pastor for 11 years is fun math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait Hold a on. Second. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. I remember I was in a, in a, I was doing a, I was a speaker meeting in, in Costa Mesa, like 300, you know, people in recovery in the room. And, and I told, I said, I said, if you're a mathlete, you'll understand that there's a drunk in the pulpit, you know, and they all, they thought that was funny. That's, that, that couldn't be true. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't, uh, you know, in that setting, we can have fun with that. Yeah. Right. And they know, cause I'm actually doing the recovery deal as I'm speaking to them. Right. So we're having those kind of jokes. Um, but it is something that I, I hold, um, I don't back away from now, you know, in that time, in the prior to that three years, um, was there sobriety? Yeah, there were, of course, it, it's ebbs and flows. And when I broke that sobriety, was it something that was just sort of like, you know, or I'm all over the place. And this last, I have a high bottom, right? So everybody has a bottom, right? And at this point in my sort of recovery, the the bottom was thankfully high, mm. right? So it was a, sort of a decision, right? It was a decision to go out and a decision to come back in. For, unfortunately, without a lot of debris, right? Yeah. Um, but, you, you know, there's a story behind all that, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think for me, and I, I hold that up front, not, not as a badge of honor, but as a badge to say to people, uh, you know, wh- whether you step out or not, it doesn't, that's not the point. The point is, do you come back, mm. right? You so know, good. Will you allow yourself to be received, right? Um, and have the humility and, and really, yeah, the, the, the humility to do that. To me, the, the best, it's not, you know, the best chip to give out is a 24 hour chip. Because what that means is I'm coming back. I'm coming yeah, home. Right. Right. It's the homecoming. It's I not, love that. not, not the leaving. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so you, you go through that journey, you enter into recovery and then at some point in time you get involved in vocational ministry. Yeah. Right. And so, mm-hmm. um, which gets into some of the kind of takes us towards this conversation of betrayal. But so you, you get mm-hmm. into vocational ministry. How, how does that come about? And then um, kind of share with us the journey in which is kind of layered then, obviously, the backdrop here. Yeah. Uh, I was invited into vocational ministry by a dear friend who, um, and I'm going gonna, gonna to hit another layer of recovery here, who, who married my first wife and I. Okay. Obviously a story there. You've so. got a really messy past. <laughs> wow. Ronnie, we, I don't have re- a, we don't have enough time. <laughs> Uh, Maybe you weren't a great guest for this show. Yeah. I'm just going to lay go out on the couch this. here uh, I just lay, and, and we'll keep talking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so, uh, yeah. And it had been, a, had been a year. So it very, so I have to give the backstory of my first marriage. Um, a beautiful um, uh, young woman. We, um, we married um, in 2005. Uh, and and we were married for five months. Um, and uh, it, it was incredibly painful for both of us. And I won't delve too much into that story um, because it is a story of obviously heartache, but also redemption. So, um, but never, nevertheless, uh, my dear friend who had married us, so he had been tracking with me kind of 
pastoring me. And, and I was going through another transition in my life, which with regard to my career, I was in professional world and there was a family business buyout going on. And, and so it was transition. And, and he kind of in, in that transition invited me into something larger that he felt like we felt like my life was sort of moving toward as we were talking. And so that was vocational ministry. And then that, that was a young church. We were a church plan. I think there were six people on staff at that point. And the, and the church was, you know, doubling in sort of attendance every year and growing and boom, it was, it was an incredible ride. Um, and I did that for seven years, but along that journey, uh, it got to the point where they were like, yeah, we, we need to engage some recovery and, you know, we've got community that's developing that we need to care for people. And like, yeah, you've blown your life up enough. You should probably, <laughs> yeah, you'd be the guy, yeah. right? <laughs> Natural choice. Um, and I did. And that, I, I always tell people, like, how did you get into what you do? I kind of backed into my calling you know, and, and trip <laughs> a few times. And, but it was, but it's just God's generosity, right. in redemption and, and, and allowing me to fall and to be cared for and held and grieve and get back up and move forward and then have the honor of um, walking with other people to do the same. That's, a, you know, that's kind of a short. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to talk? So maybe you can expound a little bit. And this will kind of launch us into your message. Yeah. So um, story in John 13 uh, is sort of marked with the betrayal aspect. Mm-hmm. And you kind of launched into the betrayal uh, in your own life mm-hmm. through this pastor who called you into ministry. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? And then we have some questions to kind of follow up around that. Because I think uh, there were some questions that had kind of come in. And I think Andy does have a question that somebody asked during the message. Yeah. So maybe just kind of talk a little bit about that betrayal for the people who weren't with us sure maybe you can expand on that yeah and I, so the backstory of to what you've talked about is uh my my dear friend um so as the church grew you know uh, uh and we you know we were in community together doing ministry together and um and he uh, had an affair so he um stepped out of his marriage had an extramarital relationship with someone that was previously on staff with us um and so, you know, unfortunately, we've kind of seen that happen before. And so we, he, he made the choice to resign immediately and, and step away from our community. And, and I would say, you know, this is sort of my perspective, sort of resisted um, even from those that were most close to him, including his family, um, efforts to, to reconcile, to, mm. to, to be restored, to move into recovery. And so he was resistant after the affair. Yeah, it, it, it's certainly initially there was sort of like, hey, I'm, I've got to, I'm going to sort of step back okay. and, and go my own way. And okay. so that left, I mean, that was hard, right? Because um, the community, we all, the staff, we were all kind of like, oh, okay, we understand, you know, what we, we could grapple at least at some level with his choices, but the choice to sort of not engage after that was probably the hardest, I think, yeah. if, if I could name that for myself. And then I, so then the, in the sermon, I, 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 a year later, he ended his life, and so that those two a combination of events, I don't, I didn't have a category for. I mean, I had a category for a pastor stepping out of his marriage and you know making, you know, really hard, bad, terrible choices. Uh, but then the 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 year journey that we all experienced, sort of in in the watching him, sort of kind of implode, um, was just hard, mm. right? It's just so much heartache. And I made the statement that there was a betrayal in that. And so I want to first make a distinction between the experience of betrayal 
in, in making a judgment this is good. on someone. Yeah, right. So I'm going to talk about my experience because I, I at no point want to want to cast judgment. Um, I think it's I think we can discern you know actions and we can sort of try to name things, but but I'm but I'm always going to name it for myself, right? right? And so my experience was one of betrayal, and really, and in, in this message, I tried to expand that as a commitment to care that's been sort of violated or gone back on or or just broken, mm-hmm. and and so. The first event was, you know, there's a commitment that we have as a staff and as a community to the way we walk our marriages out, right? There's a commitment to honoring um, one another with the truth. There's a commitment. I mean, all these things that we either we explicitly or implicitly commit to living in community together. And then when those choices are made, all of those values, all of those structures that we had said we, we agreed to, we want to live by just we just sweep them away right and mm-hmm. so i think in that sense that everybody you know from my my experience was like i started to reevaluate were those values really important are they really important do they really matter to you do mm-hmm. they really matter to me so it's sort of the we, we just start chipping away at the thing that we're standing on together right Does that makes sense right mm-hmm. almost the reality that we've sort of decided that we're going to stand on together right almost kind sense? of a, a deconstruction of the community and the bond of itself right right sort of like hey this is yes but in a traumatic way because it's not just like we're going to pick this one and talk about it it's like we're just going to just mm. shatter the thing mm. and shattering i think is a good because it's frag it's all fragmented right. after that and right. we're like was that real was it not real did right. that inner so it, and that's the nature, I think, of shattering of the basic assumptions about a friendship or, or a community is it really makes you reevaluate everything, but not really in the light of like, of goodness, more in the light of like harm and hurt and heartache. Right. And, right. Like, and I think that's why the, the term betrayal of experience, my experience comes into to focus. Um, and so for me in the text, you know, Jesus uh, is clearly um, connected to these then they're on mission they've all agreed to sort of a, a way of, of being together mm. they have a foundational assumptions about their relationship and how they relate to one another and it will all be wiped away right? right they will all walk away and of course judas specifically is violating that very intentionally by selling jesus out right right, right. yeah so uh, before we get into that yeah. um i want okay. to make um uh, two comments to kind of you know maybe offer more layer clarity to some of what we're talking about. Yep. Uh, first off, also, if you're joining us um, just now, um, we're, we're here with our guest, Jack West. He taught last week. Mm-hmm. Um, he shared a little bit of his story in the past 20 minutes, so you want to go back and listen to that. Uh, but we're kind of on the topic of, of betrayal, what he taught about that, leading to forgiveness, talking about uh, mm-hmm. the story in John 13 about washing feet. Um, so my, my couple comments on the, the interesting aspects of, you know, naming my experience, mm-hmm. right? Because it seems in a covenantal relationship and community. Because I think that's one thing you kind of have to figure out. We mm-hmm. talked about this, and Ronnie and I might be on two different sides of this, and it's it's we're talking about later. But one one question that we don't have to answer now, but let's assume for a moment that the idea of church community is even covenant in itself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That if Ronnie has agreed yeah. that he's going to follow Jesus, then you know if I'm also following Jesus, then our relationship in particular has covenantal kind of friendship, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. I don't you know I'm not going to do something different to Ronnie because he wronged me, you know, and use right. that as like, well, you wronged me. So therefore I'm not going to ever, you know, forgive, you know, you don't deserve it. 
Um, rather, it's the idea that I'm trying to live up to something and I promise I've committed to the same thing he's committed to. Mm -hmm. So it's this extended promise that it's like, well, I promised to myself, I've promised to my own community that I desire to become like Jesus, mm -hmm. a person that can forgive, a person that can cast peace and reconcile, right? Yeah. So it's it's kind of, I think, when we start to talk about the feelings and emotions and experiences of what you happen of what happens, it seems that there's it's important that someone would need to understand what is truth and what is a lie, right? Because mm -hmm. let's say I can say, okay, I felt um, I felt betrayed mm -hmm. by my friend, you know, committing suicide. Now, did that did that person intentionally intend to harm me mm -hmm. in doing that? Mm -hmm. um, I'd probably say more often no than yes, um, mm -hmm. most likely. Um, but at the same time, then I have to filter through what do I do with the feelings of betrayal, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. now in a, in a spiritual context, I think we could absolutely believe that Satan could use that idea against us, right? Mm -hmm. To kind of say, well, that person betrayed you. And like, now these people are betraying right. you and you mm -hmm. need to press more into this. And so it pushes you away mm -hmm. from the community of faith, the more yes. you buy into that. Mm -hmm. So it's almost, I feel there's truth in identifying this is what it feels like, mm -hmm. but almost coming to a place to realize, but now that's not actually what it was, mm -hmm. right? Because it's like, it, you know, it felt that way, but the truth of the matter is, is that this was a friend who was dealing with, you know, so much depression, mm -hmm. so much grief, in which then this entire act overcame them. Mm -hmm. they, you know, they didn't have the clear, the, a lens clear enough to be doing it intentionally against me mm -hmm. because it was so much, you know, um, like so much self-destruction, right. like in that process, right? Yeah. I mean, in a way that becomes this reconciliation factor in which you can then go back to that circumstance and forgive it and almost remove the entire idea of portrayal because you kind of come to a way to reconcile and be like, I can see, like, it's true that that was a feeling right. and I came to that experience, but then I, I couldn't name it now that that's what it was, mm -hmm. you know, because this is what I know now. Yeah. Uh, if you have any comments kind of on that idea at all, if that's. I do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So one of, I think one of the values, so, Part of so I have a I got a, ended up getting a master's degree in counseling in that journey of uh, that I talked about being on staff uh, with my previous church with my friends there, um, and I I really had I had the honor to step into couples counseling a lot of hours of couples counseling, <laughs> and when we're engaging this um, idea of uh, reconciling or trying to make sense of um, conflict you know in conflict um, what we're really primarily dealing with especially in the beginning is always experience um, it's always how we're interpreting sort of what's going on and so we always have to start there because that is what needs ultimately needs to be grieved it needs to be and, and we have to we have to assign the language that makes most sense to us in order to do that grieving well um, now and so how it lines up with sort of an objective or sort of a truthful, you know, sort of outline of, okay, well, this is what it was. That's always best to come after we've done this very tender, more vulnerable, yeah. right. experiential thing. Because if we, if we don't do that well, um, then we don't really find comfort. And, and, and then, and then trust building doesn't really begin. And, and I think that's, we've got to, when we do that outer layer or that sort of other more structural, you know, what was that, right? It's always better to have that conversation when we're engaging in building trust, which means we've we found a space of empathy. We found a space of all oh, resonating with one another, even if we don't agree with the language or the words or whatever, or the experience of the other in terms of how it right. lines up with that sort of, um, uh, you know, what we call more of objective situation of truth. 
which is extremely important. I'm not downplaying that. Um, I'm just saying within the context of human relations. What I think is beautiful about what Jesus is offering, he's saying it really doesn't matter how you name it in your experience because we're going to uh, dissolve it, <laughs> right? We're going to, um, it's been paid for in one sense. Uh, so it matters how, how much or, or how off you are from, let's say, reality, if we wanted to interject that okay. term. Because <laughs> sure. um, so, I think Jesus is, is calling us to navigate the subjectivity and the objectivity with forgiveness. Does that make sense? Mm. So enter in, he's saying, enter into the, the subjectivity of it. Uh, and, and then find, you know, find a way to, you know, uh, give each other the same forgiveness that I've given you. Um, which, you know, when you put the back, put more texture to the background music of Judas's actions, and, you know, we can say, I think you were talking earlier, here's an enemy. Yeah. Right? So this is not just betrayal of a friend like he has become jesus enemy and so it calls right. us back to that right love your enemies as yourself yeah so that, that's that's a great segue then mm -hmm. to kind of maybe get into some of my thoughts so um to i guess to, to briefly summarize what I, I walked away with um with your sermon on sunday was going through john 13 um you know jesus is washing the feet of his disciples mm -hmm. um along the way as he's telling this story he's specifically uh, talking about you know one of you you know, will betray me. I mean, he's like, he says four times specifically kind of, you know, passively naming Judas and bringing up mm -hmm. the fact that like amidst this act, there's going mm -hmm. to be this sense of betrayal. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you this because when it happens, that is how you know mm -hmm. that like what I've done is actually true and actually mm -hmm. real of who mm -hmm. I am. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, so later we learn that's Judas um, and the scripture that uh, follows that is uh, um, Peter's actually kind of, you know, sitting next to Jesus like, well, who is it? You know, who's mm -hmm. going to be the one? And mm -hmm. Jesus actually tells him, mm -hmm. he's like the one who dips his bread after I like, you know, hand it out will be the yeah. one, yeah. you know, that's going to betray me. And yeah. it says how like the others didn't know, but Peter knew. And, and as Jesus is telling him, so then Judas is the first one that dips it. And it even says in the scripture, um, as a pronoun, it uses a capital S to mention Satan, but it says Satan entered Judas, you know, mm -hmm. upon actually taking communion, yeah. which is such a fascinating thing to talk about on its own. Like there's that big question out there, like, wait a minute, then if I'm a Christian, can right. I be yes. possessed? And right. there's all that stuff. So mm -hmm. we're not going to go there. Mm -hmm. But so what, um, and then, you know, you, you then layered the sermon with just understanding of like, you know, look at, let's look at Jesus and, and his forgiving nature of servanthood amidst betrayal and mm -hmm. knowing betrayal is happening. And we kind of go there. So I came away with though, with really looking at the, the, speci the specificity of the fact that prophetically Jesus knows that Judas is going to sell him out, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, I mean, we're, at this point, we're talking table fellowship with enemy, right? Because it's mm -hmm. like, what is, who's the greatest enemy of God in this moment? Mm -hmm. You know, this is Judas who's going to sell out Jesus and so that God is killed. Right. I mean, if we're going to, you know, go down the list of like, what's the greatest sins of the world? I mean, come on. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at this, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting to kind of wrestle with the, the blanket idea of like, you know, being Christians and, and always seeking reconciliation and forgiveness. I think many uh, Christians wrestle out there with, how can I ever forgive this person who's done this thing to me? Right. So there's this interesting model of Jesus, not only doing table fellowship with his disciples and the ones he loved, but really enemy and prophetic enemy of God. Mm -hmm. We know later G Judas took his life himself. Mm -hmm. um, and so it kind of begs that question. And I know the bigger answer here is, is kind of like an, I don't know. We don't know that Jesus forgave Judas, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of narrative assumptions that we can kind of like, it, it would seem that Jesus would like almost be taking him in. And I mean, cause there's some Calvinistic ideas of this long-term plan. Like, did mm -hmm. it have to happen? Could have happened a different way? Was it always intended, et cetera, et cetera. 
But um, what do, what do we do with that? Because it's like, are we? Can we assume in some ways that Jesus is almost saying, "I know you're going to betray me, and yet I'm going to wash your feet." Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an incredible picture right there. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what what's kind of your thoughts on on some of that. I mean, and just to jump yeah. in real quick on your point, I yeah. think Judas is also, and you touched on this, mm-hmm. is juxtaposed with Peter, yeah. who right. also betrays him and yeah. sells him out three times. Right. You know, and so you you go. Yeah. And then there's the scene on the, on the beach after that. But I'll let you jump yeah. into it. Oh, and one last comment. I, I would say in, in, in the idea of betrayal, we know Judas is being intentional in his actions. Like, to mm-hmm. me, that's important right. here. Whereas Peter is confronted with a situation. It and, it's, and it's a reaction to sure. fear. It's a reaction to these things. Where yeah. Judas intentionally had already exchanged money at this point, mm-hmm. you know, and then like, yeah. left that night. Yeah. There was a plan. It was premeditated. Right. You know, Setting so there's crap. some other intention right. here. And it's yeah. interesting to think that Satan entered him after he had already premeditated these actions, yeah. Yeah. so it's not like he was possessed and it happened. Yeah. You know, there's a there's another story there. So yeah. okay, and you know, just to jump right off is is uh, I think in John, I think it's John, um, when Jesus tells Peter that you're going to deny me three times, but I've I, the enemy has come to me and asked if he can sift you like mm, wheat, and I yeah. pray that you come back. To me. Right. So. Um, a lot of, lot of layers, uh, to that interaction. But I think in the story sense, what I'm content, what I sort of contending with in terms of John's use of the background of, you know, pinging Judas's indirectly and directly, um, Judas's betrayal in the story, he's using that to set, uh, that's the setting, part of the setting of the scene, which then leads us to the mood. So I think John is actually pulling us into an emotional experience, his reader into an emotional experience as they're reading the story around the foot washing. So he's, he's trying to help us set us up with the, the right emotional um, field of experience. When we see Jesus doing this very humble act to his friends, which we know they knew, we know readers know are, will ultimately um, walk away from him. And, and especially, so it's to me, it's John's brilliance in telling the story with an, helping us with the emotion of it, right? Pulling us in. Um, he does that again in that John 21 passage I referenced, uh, you know, with the, he even uses the Peter's emotion as grief. So John definitely, I think, attends to experience um, in his gospel and particularly the scene. And what I think that means for us is that we, we want to read this with, with all of the sort of um, kind of shock and horror and awe, right? And gratitude, <laughs> right? right? This yeah. mixture of yeah. things, because I think that ultimately mirrors what we um what we what we can experience in when we experience these things from one another is that i can't believe that that person could do that right you know could walk out like that or could handle this situation that way when we committed to walking this way together right marriage faith you know friendship whatever right yeah 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 um in in especially close relationships where we have made a covenant as you've said toward a certain way of living um whether you were married or not, like we've, we've agreed to this. And I think that's, you know, whether it's implicit, of course, explicit, like there's that thing that just sort of gets rumbled, right. And it's foundational. Right. And I think that's what, that's what betrayal lends to in experientially is this foundational shifting that like, wow, we didn't see that coming. Right. Mm. Came from a, a kind of a blind side. And then it's a friend. Um, one of the interesting things about what we learned from PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, at an experiential level, there is a betrayal of 
the, the way we thought life worked. So whatever your um, worldview is, uh, post-traumatic stress symptoms come from a shifting at a foundational level of that worldview, however you articulate it, right. whether you're religious or not. I mean, this is, this is what war and some of these other traumatic events do, is they do push us to have to reevaluate, but the, the pre-reevaluation is the disruption and the fragmentation mm. of our reality, which can, you know, cannot be stressed enough how physiologically, emotionally, and spiritually disruptive that is. Right. Yeah, I mean, right. yeah. to the point where we have a, we have a we have a, a symptomology, a group of symptoms that we we call post-traumatic stress disorder that come from that. So, am I saying that that Jesus was experiencing some level of post-traumatic, uh, or did you know? I'm huh. sure he he felt it the way that we would feel it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and he had to move through it in doing this act the way that we would have to move through dissolving an offense mm, an experience of defense yeah so that's interesting to think about in that context because you know we've talked about this that so often john 13 the, the focus is the, the foot washing and servanthood mm-hmm. and how to be humble mm-hmm. but when you when you miss the larger context that's happening mm-hmm. it really changes the dynamic of the story mm-hmm. so yeah it's, it's 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 like you could be a servant and wash somebody's feet but like you said earlier, wash the feet of the guy who's going to sell you out for 30 yeah. pieces of right. silver. Right, especially if you know about it. <laughs> right. You know, that's the thing. Right. It's like, it's I know what of, you're up to. Right, right, right. Like, I know what you're up to because yeah. maybe maybe someone else has told me. Mm-hmm. But then to like in that moment, rather than like use the opportunity to shame them in front of the oh. people he's developed relationship mm-hmm. with and which we could easily do. Sure. Instead, he's like, I instead will treat you equal in like in sharing uh, yeah. in what this mm-hmm. is. I mean, see, that's that's that compelling nature of table fellowship, right? Yeah. It's like, that's that equalizer idea of communion. Right. Um, and it's terrifying, you it know? Is, I mean, it it's is. absolutely Which is terrifying. probably why people don't like open communion. Oh, yeah. Certain denominations mm-hmm. disagree with open communion, but mm-hmm. there's that, that leveling that says, no, 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 everybody here is at the same place, mm-hmm. you know, and you're, you're welcome to, to be at Jesus's feet right. or vice versa, right? Right. Because right. you can't look at someone else and say, well, you haven't earned this. Right. 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 You know, I mean, that, that's that that's that piece of it that just hinges the center. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of we, we can't look around the room and be like, well, you've you've confronted me and you've done this. Now, I will you know, I will make a case to the fact that, you know, there is a calling to which, like, you know, God asks us, like, you know, before you you know approach communion, you'll consider the offenses in which you've had. Like, it's better for you, mm-hmm. you know, to go and reconcile with your brother mm-hmm. than to come and worship me. Right. You know, I mean, that's like that's still this beautiful call. I mean, I mean, we're, right. we're full of a church culture that says, like, no worshiping God is number one. Like you do it no matter what kind of thing. And even God's like, listen, but I'm not even going to receive it. If you're coming to me, think, yeah. like thinking it's okay to carry the strife you have against your brother. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's just even sitting in that is compelling. And then it, God's saying like, I'm not going to shame you because you didn't come to the table and you went and reconciled. Right. The opposite. Right. It's actually shameful for you to approach the table if you're going to choose not to reconcile with your brother right. first. Right. I mean, that's, you know, that's compelling. Right. You know, and so, um, which is, which is still completely consistent with open communion. That's not the idea that you're right. not allowed to take it. Mm-hmm. It's more of a, it's a heart posture issue, right? right? And so that's, I mean, that's the whole idea of approaching communion is like, where's my heart? Like, do I approach it because I'm giving something up? Right. You know, if you're, if you're approaching it because you think like you've arrived or you're entitled to it, yeah. that's, that should be the check. If you, if it's almost, a, if you, that's the heart check. If you're approaching it and it's, um, and you almost don't feel like a sense of like, Mm-hmm. kind of like sacrifice a sense of conviction to even do it in the first place i think it's worth sitting in yeah and i like kind of totally. going through this process of like well have i 
Have I reached out to people I've uh, I've hurt that maybe I've betrayed or maybe that I've offended? Mm -hmm. Have I tried? Is it yep. even as simple as a text message or even just beginning that journey, whatever that looks like? Um, mm -hmm. That's so good. It's good. Um, I want to go back. Or do you have a question? Well, I have one of the questions. Okay, we can get that. to that. that. Should we get to that? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So I feel bad. I meant to kind of throw this question to Jack before. Um, so, anyways, you're getting it right off the cuff here. So let's see how let's see how Jack rolls with this. Um, Hi, Vox. Uh, oh, so, so if you folks don't know, um, we do put up a phone number um, with every teaching that we're doing on Sunday. So we encourage people to actually ask questions during the sermon. Um, in many cases, um, if it's one of our regular teachers like Ronnie or Carrie or Will, um, we'll usually answer the questions on the following Sunday. Granted, Jack um, isn't there quite as often. This is a great place for him to actually engage with this. So mm -hmm. um, anyhow, here is that uh, question. Um, oops, I scrolled up. Okay, here we go. Hi, Vox. Thanks for inviting, uh, inviting Jack to speak last Sunday. His message was very helpful. It did leave me with a few questions, though. So maybe we got a, maybe we got a few questions here. We here. Yeah. here we go. He focused a bit on betrayal and said something close to, quote, we all come to the table having betrayed God, dot, dot, dot. We all come as sinners. Can you help me understand how I have betrayed God in a non bible -y sort of way? And how is it that I'm a sinner? I understand about the big things we do or don't do that would be called betrayal or sin, but what about ordinary good people who are working on aligning their lives with Jesus? Are we just talking about the bad thoughts we sometimes have or about someone else or the quote don'ts in the Sermon on the Mount? Thanks. Ooh. Ooh. Do you want to break that up? You can, you can always ask again what the next one yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, so she's asking about the nature of sin, uh, the nature of transgression, um, and I think the way I understand uh, sin in the Bible is that there's sin that is sort of a, a volitional choice, mm -hmm. uh, and then there's sin that is sort of a state of the world, sort of a structural um, uh, sort of a fabric of the world, which means, so if we understand the origin story, beautiful poetry in Genesis about how the world is or came to be as it is, um, is that what we can see as uh, sin or disruption in sort of the, what we would might call a, a natural order of things, you know, um, is because there is a, a fault line in the creative order sort of, and then specifically within humans, there's sort of a, for lack of a better term, a sort of genetic sort of disposition toward um, violating uh, one another uh, in kind of the, the way the, the world works, cre how creation's ordered. And so I think, you know, we can um, evidentially see that, you know, we harm the environment, like we make choices we don't give regard to how, you know, even, I mean, you know, how things work. And so we sort of do our own thing and right. we, we make or disorder there. And then within relationships, I think we can definitely see how we hurt one another mm -hmm. intentionally and unintentionally. So here's, here's what's, I think, most problematic about what I've said, is I've actually said sin is beyond our choice. Like, it's kind of part of who right. we are. And, and so that sort of bleeds into everything, right? And so I think what was, what's hard is, is for us to grapple with that there is something systemic about, um, systemically broken the world. Right, we can't fix. Right. Well, you want one way I, I that's helpful for me to kind of clarify that avenue. Typically, is um, generationally we inherit not just like physical traits and genetic traits, mm -hmm. but ideological traits. Right? right. Like, how do I know how to survive in the world? Well, I look to my dad. Right. right. I look to a parent yeah. who, like, how do they model what I'm supposed to do with life that 
so I can make sense of the world, so mm -hmm. I can make good decisions, so I can love well, or so I can build business well, right? Mm -hmm. All of these are these parameters for, for what I do. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's with what you're saying, there's, there's a, a simple linear ongoing genetic follow-up to mm -hmm. every single generation born in which we all have to look at what have I inherited right and then how does that actually align with how we understand what the the full moral nature of God is the yeah. kingdom of God so it's when we're using more of the narrative objective term of sin as an idea mm -hmm. it's just saying that the the course of the world is not in alignment with the course of how God would ideally intend us right. to be as the full humans that Jesus represented in right. both his humanity and his godness, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, it's, that's, that's that one idea. If you can't, and that's what's tricky about this question is, if you don't have a good understanding of that, then this is where that gets really blended, right? right? Because then it's like, well, how am I acting in sin? Because yeah. I think I'm just trying to do what's right. Mm -hmm. But then that's the question. Well, okay, well, let's let's unpack that. Yeah. How do you define what is what is right and what is in order? Right. And so then that's where we start to realize, oh, God would actually prefer that I, you know, some people might think it's okay where, well, my dad did this to me growing up, and mm -hmm. that's just how it is, and I'm never going to see him again. Mm -hmm. I don't care, but I'm getting by just fine. Yeah. You know, and there's no desire to ever reconcile. Mm -hmm. But it's like God actually has an interesting road for you know, kind of like, what right. does that, what is that actually doing mm -hmm. for your heart? What is that actually doing for your livelihood? Right. And if you explored that, the more you go down that road, you realize, oh my gosh, forgiveness and reconciliation almost is necessary. Yeah. And so that's kind of, that becomes that reality of, well, I'm not out there killing people, you know, or, yeah. you know, cheating on my wife. Mm -hmm. So it's not this level of, it's not this active level comparison, but it's mm -hmm. just realizing that, there's a more beautiful kingdom to push towards mm -hmm. that involves reconciliation, yeah. involves reorientation mm -hmm. and realignment with Jesus. Yeah. And so that's more of the idea of sin is in, in its simple term is like, oh, it's missed the mark. It's just mm -hmm. not on the point of where God would have the ideal for life. Is that yeah, yeah kind totally. of makes sense? And I think what I, what we're going for is um, what you mentioned um, reform theology earlier. It's kind of Calvinism. Yeah. yeah. I, but I think one of the things that, that we can take from them that generous is just this generous view of sin is that sin isn't something that, it's something that should, fr like the, the, the understanding of sin should actually free us. Mm, yeah. um, we should right. actually feel more, I think, no, free us if, if, we can, if we can grab hold of forgiveness, right? Yeah. Um, because, but, but kind of get, we get stuck on, especially in, a, in an individualistic culture, in a Western culture of like, I can, I have, total control over sort of my sort of moral sort of uh, engagement with the world and what really we're we're caught up in streams right of uh, of and we have these genetic sort of inherited fault lines within us that come from the way we learned and so it's far bigger than that and because of that we, we need it we need something far bigger to save us but we can also rest and this isn't it's not just us right in terms of what i what i'm choosing to do uh but there's a fragility in me that can only be resolved through forgiveness. It can only be, can only be put back right. together. And I think that's, to me, that's the, that's the turning point. You could probably throw grace in there as well, if you, uh, is that there's this way of the world, right? This sort of frag, frag, fragmented, shattered way of the world. And then there's the, what I would call, what one poet has said, the grain of the universe. Like if the grain were a plane of wood, a universe were a plane of wood, there's this grain. And we follow the grain. It actually is love. Like, and so anything that moves against that is, but the trick is we think that the grand universe really runs along lines of, of might is right, power, because that's the thing that's in our face. Like, 
you know, and, and forgiveness isn't a part of that, but for, but when we do engage in forgiveness, it, it really gets us onto that, that grain, right? Right. It just is right. the undercurrent of everything. And then talking about the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, so Jesus is trying to move <laughs> yeah. us into it, right? He, right. And he's starting the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, was saying, no matter where you are, uh, or how how far away you think you are, uh, or off that sort of sort of track, like you you can move with that, right? That can be part of your life in me. Um, but that's the touch point forgiveness, right? Right. We've got to we've got to receive that, engage in that, be enveloped in that that other economy that really moves us along the lines of love versus um, getting swept up in this other thing, which I think is the when we talk when I talk about the category of power. That's something I didn't bring into the sermon, which I was like, that's just too much, is what Jesus is doing by his, his narrative arc, his character arc, is he's, he's being named as having all power, and then he's divesting himself of all that power, mm. whether social or, you know, even sort of spiritual, like, right. you know, and then he comes, he returns back into it. So our model then is if we're in community, whatever, whatever position or power we're, we're granted privilege, we're to divest it. On behalf of the other, oh, that's good. That is right. part of what is happening in this moment, and he's not necessarily addressing all of the structures of that. He's just saying, whatever the structure you find yourself in in this in this particular passage, divest it, deconstruct it for the in service of the other. Does that make mm, sense? Yeah. So if right. I come oh, in with good. privilege, if I come in with, you know, you you speak on Sunday, people ascribe a certain a lot of you know relational sort of capital to you, and and the call is. If you have that, serve the other with it right. and start by getting, you know, That's good. does that make sense? Yeah, like, no, totally. Know, getting rid of yeah. It. yeah. There's a, there's a lot in that. Paul yeah. gets into that. Uh, Mike's talked a lot about that. It's the idea of power under versus power over, mm-hmm. you know, like how, what is, what does it really look like to overt authority versus subvert authority? Mm-hmm. And so it's, um, there, there's so much, so much good stuff there. Um, no, that's great. If you happen to have asked that question, um, let us know if that was a, a reasonable answer. Yeah. I'm sure there's, there's always more there um, that, that we'd love to get to on that. Um, I wanted to go back real quick, just because just um, I, I, I caught on this. You gave the three steps, mm-hmm. right? You remember? Yeah, three phases. Three phases. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Can you just say them again real quick? Uh, to, name the, to name the harm right. that you experience, um, to grieve it, mm-hmm. uh, and then to release it. And those are very, I called them phases. <laughs> movements, if you will, because mm-hmm. uh, they're general, because even with naming it, there's wrestling with, you know, what is my experience? What is reality? Yeah. Or, what yeah, is something right. closer to reality? I'm grappling with that. Um, and then uh, to be able to grieve, that's, whew, that's a tough one because I've now got to be able to, um, you know, naming it can often move us into anger, right? And anger without grief is violent, right? So we've got to move into this more tender, vulnerable position in which is letting go of maybe the anger, which is, that's a tough thing to move into a position where I can then receive comfort, hmm. right? Cause comfort isn't just me comforting myself, uh, in my head, but actually being, having the space to name this, be raw, be all. And this actually happened for me the other day in a very poignant situation, which I won't, it, it connects with this, which I won't get into, but it's too soon, but this space to be raw, to, to be wrong, right. To, to be, your experience to be so far from what really happened, right? If that's the case. Yeah. Uh, but just the freedom to do that and then move into that space of vulnerability, which is I've been hurt. Whatever, whatever, however I use language to describe my experience uh, in terms of how it connects to reality, I feel hurt. And it's something that I have 
and uh, and and I've lost trust, and I need to breathe that and be and be comfortable. Right. That that I thought that was such a, a good thing. I mean, it's obviously a nuance in, in just those three steps, but like in the moment of anchor, what does it require for you to find comfort? And that's such an interesting idea. You set up the sermon actually with three other things that connect very much to that. Was just the idea of um, and I, you know, correct me if I got this order wrong, but it was the the concept of confession or attention, confession, yeah. community. You know, because I think those are these backdrops for these three phases. Because you can't, you can't just do those in a bubble. Right. You know, like at home by yourself. Right, you know, right. it's like there's these other. Oh, and then how community then creates safety. Yeah. You know, so it's just how understanding that there's there's social structures in, even in which these yeah. things can be processed well from a communal level. Because there's right. there's definitely the communal conversation you you touched on about like if you're in a church body and then like the pastor, you know, has an affair and then later takes his life. I mean, that there's a communal process right. for then how you're able to grieve that as an organization, as a people and a social uh, system. Then there's also the, obviously the independent then um, uh, struggle and uh, uh, trauma, you know, mm -hmm. then how we're doing that in, mm -hmm. individually. So, yeah. but it is interesting how you almost have to kind of analyze like, well, I'm living in this anger and I'm not at a place of grief. Well, what, what does your community look like around you? Like what yeah. connection do you have? Like, yeah. is there a place for you to mm -hmm. do this? Is, are you so far and isolated from the ideas of comfort? Right. That how do you ever get to, you know, a, a, a better sense of reality and really even be able to look outside and see your own perspective and, and come mm -hmm. to that place of being like, wow, like I, I'm seeing this whole thing all wrong, mm -hmm. but it, it feels so necessary that you have to kind of look at these other you know, kind of community yeah. systems and realize what do you, what do you have? Mm -hmm. If you, if you know, you're just isolated out there and you're feeling all that stuff, mm -hmm. you know, the step is going to be, well, let's talk about what you're connected to. Where yeah. are you finding connection? Yeah. Is that connection taking you deeper into community itself? And right. in that community, are you safe then to actually confess? And are people right. empathetic and are they yeah. giving you a place of comfort? Yeah. And then in that safety, are you then able to provi provide safety for others and, and then find reconciliation? And right. that, that to me feels like that that holistic kind of connection yeah. process. And maybe you can maybe you can elaborate. And maybe this would be the, the, the kind of wrapping up here because mm -hmm. it's kind of loaded and heavy, nuanced question. But like, we live in a cultural context right now mm -hmm. um, where there's offense, right? Okay. Whether realistic, perceived, or whatever, it's mm -hmm. people's experience. And we live in a culture that doesn't take any time to uh, give people freedom to have an experience, right? Mm -hmm. So you know what I'm talking. So we can talk about that with race, we can talk mm -hmm. about that with gender, mm -hmm. sexuality, yeah. like on one side, you have people feeling wronged, mm -hmm. hurt, injustice. On the mm -hmm. other side, there's people going, you're crazy. That's ridiculous. Get over it. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever you want to use, right. you know, whatever, snowflake, whatever. So how can we be a better community that gives space and voice mm -hmm. to those who are hurt? But then on the other side, for someone who feels injustice, their experience has told them they've been betrayed by the people around them. Right. What do they do in that process? How do they move forward? How do we? How do you know? How do both sides move forward? Okay, let me do some reflective <laughs> listening. What I heard you say. Um, so, how how do we help both sides? Yeah, I mean, I, those that have a specific, run and I would say, and I'm an, I'll I'll, I'll yeah. narrow this down. Okay. So, in a, in a Christian community, right? Mm -hmm. So, if you're going to claim to be a follower of Jesus, yeah. Um, and you've got these groups of people within this community, uh, one side, let's just take the racial side for mm -hmm. it because it's, it's pretty poignant right now. Right. Um, people feel, uh, an injustice, a mm -hmm. deep sense of injustice mm -hmm. and even a misunder and just not even being understood. Right. Mm -hmm. How do, how do we help those people move through that perception, the yeah. hurt, the grief, mm -hmm. right. 
But then how do we help other people on this side who don't understand that, who want to quickly shut that off and go, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not, there's no racism right. because maybe they've never experienced it. Yeah. Does that they don't, they don't yeah. feel they've intentionally caused it. Right. They're just like, well, I'm, like, I'm not racist. I haven't caused anything. But exactly. sometimes there's this optic lens yeah. of privilege. Anyways, exactly. that's, but go on. And let me add another layer because okay. I'm following you. Is there are people who think, you know, you know the reverse racism. Right. right. Yes. They yeah. feel they have the same experience. <laughs> right. Or they're they're are they're articulating the same experience as someone who has been oppressed systemically, you know, where power really is, mm. you know, and I'm I'm showing my bias here, where power power really has oppressed him, um, who are people, and I'm talking about people of color, um, but there are people, white people, who um, who come from privilege of varying levels, um, who actually feel the same way. Like, how do we reckon? Yeah, yes, yes, that's actually, exactly right. Yes. Because we're if we're talking experientially, right. Yes. There's a parallel. You mentioned right. that, right? Like this right. is your experience. So what I would say is that, um, and I'll let me speak to white people first, right? Because I'm pay attention, to white people. Uh, half of me is listening. Half of me is listening to. Yeah. <laughs> so if I'm if I'm following Jesus, going back to the text, uh, Jesus is saying, um, divest yourself, whatever social power, whatever wherever you come from, whatever status you have, divest it, serve the other. Mm. And particularly in this act of forgiveness, so let's just stick really close to the text. Mm-hmm. So, regardless of how, if I feel like I've been reverse, you know, discriminated against, the call for me in Christian community is to divest myself of whatever Oof. privilege that I have, whatever per- that I perceive, right, and humble myself beneath, as Mike, you know, power under. <laughs> Um, and again, that's socially constructed powers. So this is not like right. real, but, but, but I'm saying in terms of like, but this is the experience and this is what my culture affords me. Um, is it then subordinate that to forgive the other? So mm. the offense I have is I've been re- reverse discriminated. My call is to dissolve that uh, on, on behalf of the other. Resolve, dissolve, and then submit in that act. Mm. That's it. That's, yep. that's, so, so white people... <laughs> Um, that's our call, right? And, and if, if both sides are doing that, then now we have reconciliation, oh, okay? Right. So, because reconciliation is a two-way street. But now here, here was what I have to understand is regardless of my own experience, I have to then be able to see and make space for the other's experience. I have to be able to have eyes of, of empathy as part of that act of forgiveness because forgiveness is an opening me up. Uh, to see, oh my goodness, their experience is similar to mine. I love when this happens in, in the couple, couples context, mm. right? When when, but it's that space of vulnerability that comes after grief. So this is the point. Regardless of what side I'm on, is I've got to come to grief and be comforted over my experience, which will then help me then right-size it, um, articulate it better on the back end. So, wow, wait a minute, I do have privilege. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like wow, this is the self-realization. Because then I think when that happens critically, then I'm now engaged in. Oh no, that shouldn't be. Right now, I'm involved. Now I'm called into sort of justice, which is mm. pairing kind of the grief with a, 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 an anger that is righteous or anger that that moves me toward, you know, goodness. Yes, does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I, you know, of course, I think Martin Luther King Jr. gave us a great model of that. Um, I think there are other you know, models where reconciliation has happened in the context of race. Now, I'm not saying that he was able to yep. pull reconciliation yep. off, obviously, because we still have this sort of, it's a two-way street. Um, 
and I'm not very versed in, in how things went down in South Africa, but I do know that part for what good there was in terms of reconciliation, this is part of what we saw uh, yeah. happening in South Africa, which it, it, we have not seen any, I think, that yeah. meaningfully here. Well, when what you said earlier about uh, anger without grief mm -hmm. uh, is becomes a violent, violent thing, yeah. right? So that's what, um, what you're saying for a, a white person who, who feels that sense of um, reverse racism, if you yeah. will. One is naming the experience, mm -hmm. but then also is being able to just grieve it. Like mm -hmm. you're saying, like, okay, grieve that, whether it's real or not, yeah. grieve that so that you can embrace forgiveness mm -hmm. and reconciliation. Right? Yeah. And I think that's where we see a culture on one side being hindered, right? Yeah. Maybe on both sides. Maybe it's a both side thing. Well, I think particularly for, and I don't mean to get off of, this is not the most important, I think, part of the conversation because I think it, without grief isn't just one emotion. Grief is sort of a state which can be an emotion but includes a lot of emotions like fear, uncertainty, shame. Mm. And so I think those are the tender parts of that experience which must be which must be reconciled with within the person and the people that are experiencing them because um that is ultimately what's driving their rage yeah right the, it, their rage is, right. is a trying to i'm trying to hold all of that dis dissolution of those those are dissolving emotions there's tender ones there's ones that like oh, i'm just gonna like you know and they're trying to hold it together with rage mm. because I, my whiteness or my sense of self will disappear right. if I don't right. have this rage. Now, once that, the fear is that once it dissolves, I will dissolve. Or if I, if I have to move toward grief and potentially move toward that sort of, you know, then I, then I will sense disappear. And I think that's where people around us. So one of the things I didn't caveat is when we do this work of grief, it's very helpful to have structure around us, mm. relationships, you know, within a community, a, a, an open conversation about what we're experiencing with boundaries mm -hmm. to say, hey, we're going to hold it here or we're going to set the markers here to have to, to keep it fruitful, at least moving toward, you know, um, love and set those boundaries out. So, I mean, like therapy is like kind of the easiest model of that because it's like all the structures baked in right mm -hmm. you have confidentiality you have ethics and all the you know this person in one person in the room or um two people and so i think that's structure is important when we get into that tender thing because we do get things are so messy underneath there there's so many fears right that we have uh, about what will happen if i don't have this position or this way of thinking about the world yeah. which is fundamentally already shattered it's just we've failed to deal with it and that's why we're angry mm -hmm. that's good that's really good yeah. yeah i think that uh yeah okay dude um yeah that's fantastic um jack of course thanks for joining us today yeah. thanks, yeah, for, thanks for, for the opportunity you're teaching this past yeah. uh sunday uh so much that you want um again if you're listening to this you're getting to the end and uh has spurred uh, more questions uh please leave them in the comments mm -hmm. um ronnie and i um, and Jack, of course, jump in as you mm -hmm. see questions too, but we'll do yeah, our best to, you know, okay. go back and interact with other comments and questions along the way. Um, uh, just something that I'll make sure to do, um, in a status post as we do this, um, I will post, uh, the national suicide hotline, um, in there. Um, if you happen to be coming across this and, um, you do find yourself in a place to need to reach out, um, to talk to someone to get some help and find yourself, um, a danger yeah. to yourself. Um, do not wait, do not hesitate yeah. yes. um, to call and talk to somebody. Um, in addition, uh, we partner uh, with Freedom Center OC uh, for doing our care workshops that Carrie Garcia and our staff leads. Um, check that out at, uh, you can Google Freedom Center um, Orange County and you'll find it, I think it's freedomcenteroc.org. I hope 
I'm going to get that. Either way, I'm going to find a link. I'll put it in there. Uh, there's life coaching available. Um, they also have connections with um, some M um, MFTs and other counselors um, through that as well. So yep. um, for those of you that need a touch point, you know, need to start these conversations wherever you're at, we definitely encourage you to, to take that step. Um, and if you need community you know outside of that, Sundays. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'll draw out of high school, 10 o'clock. Yep. Box meets and we'd love to have you. Yep. That's yeah. it. So um, awesome. Thanks, thank Jack, you. again. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Thanks a lot. See you guys. See you guys. That was great.